Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental or emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he's gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as he or she personally chooses, while accepting full responsibility for his or her own individual thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and actions. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares. And by listening to this program, you're acknowledging that you, and only you, are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and actions. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back to The Last Symptom. I'm Brian Barnett, the creator and host of The Last Symptom. I'm really glad to have you here with me this week. Got lots of good things to talk about this week. Anxiety and stress as it relates to borderline personality disorder or any other emotional disorder. Remember, we're not just focused on BPD here. All emotional disorders have the same origins, have the same causes, and so uh, whenever I make reference to borderline personality disorder, that's for the benefit of those of you who do have borderline personality disorder. But if you haven't specifically been diagnosed with that, just keep in mind that the things we talk about here apply to all emotional disorders. So, anxiety, stress, as it relates to your emotional disorder. Let's see, how you all doing? I'm doing pretty good. Temperature rose a lot here where I'm at. Um, I think it's trying to herald spring. Yes, I know it's only February, but I think it's spring kind of waving at us and saying, hey, hey, everybody, I'm on my way. Can you believe we are halfway through February? I can't believe it. And uh, since I love winter so much, I hate to see it go, but, you know, I, I like all the seasons equally, so... I'm looking forward to spring, looking forward to summer. I'm looking forward to everything that's coming. Before we get started here today, I wanted to share something with you. As I was preparing to sit down and record this show, I went to staple some of my notes together, and my stapler was empty. So I went over to a drawer that I got over here, opened it up, got out my staples to put into the stapler, and it occurred to me that the staples I've got several boxes of these in my supply drawer there I bought these staples almost 25 years ago almost 25 years ago and I stored them away Um, at that time you know I was really big into art and cartooning and that sort of thing and so I needed a supply all the time of these sorts of things uh, just for the production of of what I was doing but isn't it amazing these staples how they have followed me around for over for for almost 25 years I think it's like 24 years but they followed me throughout every stage of my life up to now and um, you know you open the box here you folks who are watching the video 
rather than just listening to the uh, podcast. Those of you who are watching on Rumble or on YouTube will, can see this. You know, you open up the box, and, and staples, I reckon, are just one of those things that do not age. I mean, look at it. They're not any different than brand new staples that you could go to the business supply store and buy today. So just a little interesting thing that happened as I was preparing to sit down and do this show. Let me tell you about thelastsymptom.com. That's my website full of free resources. Please take advantage of those resources. And um, there are some modest pay, uh, paid resources there as well. And it's the paid resources that uh, have allowed me to do this work for as long as I have. Really appreciate the donations that come in from time to time. You know who you are. And because of the nature of this work, I can't go telling everybody your name, but uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you very, very much. The uh, modest paid resources are one-on-one phone conversations with me, one-on-one Zoom video conferences with me, and of course, the two-week intensive, The Last Symptom uh, Fundamentals course. That is available at thelastsymptom.com. It's a two-week intensive course. It's pre-recorded, so it works with your schedule. I think you can even sample it there if you go over to thelastsymptom.com. And, um, you know, it has, I tried to include everything, everything I could think of that you would need to be able to repeat the process that I went through in my own authentic recovery. We have a wonderful online community over at thelastsymptom.locals.com and uh, I was just looking at the stats earlier uh, this week and we are now at over 700 members in thelastsymptom.locals.com community which is really amazing because that group's only been in place for a year it has a different structure than Facebook it has some paid elements to it and so the fact that there are 700 members now not all of those members are active and um, really super engaged some people sign up take a look and then they they abandon their account and never come back but just the fact that we have 700 members in a real short amount of time is quite a thing so the group uh, is just going to continue growing we would love to see you there engaged with us and participating in our conversations and stuff uh, this conversation about anxiety and stress that I'm going to share with you today happened during a live chat that we had this week and it there were so many good elements to it I thought that I'd just share it with all audience but if you don't want to miss out on conversations like this that we have all the time please join us uh, in our online community. That's at thelastsymptom.locals.com. Last announcement I'll make is I think I already made it <laughs> in an indirect way is that this podcast is now available as a video on both Rumble and YouTube. And somebody gave me some real good advice the other day. The person said that I'm looking at something on the video but not directly it doesn't look like I'm looking directly at you and I'll tell you why that is it's because I'm I'm looking at myself so my camera is kinda off to the left 
of where I am on the screen that I'm looking at. And the reason why I look at myself is because it recreates the sensation for me, anyway, that I'm actually talking to a person rather than a dot on my screen. So, you know, because I can't see you, obviously. I can only see the little camera dot. But when I look at the screen, I see myself talking. Subconsciously, for me, it's like I'm talking to somebody rather than a, a, a rather than an inanimate object. So I will try to look at the dot so that it appears like I'm looking at you. But if I don't, and my gaze kind of drifts away from time to time, I hope you'll forgive me. It's a subconscious sort of thing that allows me to speak more naturally. Basically, that's what it comes down to. It allows me to speak more naturally if I'm looking at myself, which my brain says, you're looking at a person, you're talking to a person, even though it's me. Um, My brain helps me then talk more naturally as if I were talking to a person rather than the dot on my computer. Hope that makes sense. So uh, this week, we had this conversation about anxiety and stress. And one of our members there within the group that I just finished telling you about, uh, she and I got to talking about anxiety and stress as it relates to emotional disorder. She said that uh, in many cases for her, when she experiences, seems to experience the most anxiety is when she's having some kind of health concern. And she wanted to know if I had any insight about that. I do, and not just about health issues, but about anxiety and emotional disorder in general. I think I've told you folks in the past that I used to be a really, really anxious person. I'd never be able to do something like this, talk to you folks on the radio or uh, on a video regularly and um, as casually as as I now do. I was such an anxious person. Um, yeah, I think in the first season I told you how I used to walk around all the time. My my gut was always tight. I was always like sucked in and tight. And uh, I was never a fat guy. I was a, a really skinny guy. So there was no need for me to be sucking in like that. But it was just the anxiety that I constantly walked around with that caused me to do that. Um I think also in the first season I told you that I used to sweat through the armpits of every shirt I'd put on. So I'd, I could bathe, get cleaned up, put on a brand new shirt, and I mean I would just sweat right through the, the armpits of that shirt in no time. Ruined a lot of shirts like that. And uh, so I was a very, very anxious person. The vast majority of that anxiety and stress went away with authentic recovery. And actually, the way we, I think the way we got on this conversation was that I was talking about migraines. I used to have migraines. In fact, I think when I was five or six, uh, my mom took me to get all these studies and tests done for migraines. It turned out that they couldn't find anything, but clearly I was experiencing severe migraines. And um, it also turns out that my my grandfather on my mother's side 
suffered from intense migraines. My mother suffered from intense migraines. So what, you know, when you look at something like that, what do you naturally conclude? Well, you conclude the same thing that the doctors concluded, that it's hereditary. It runs in the family. Uh, It's genetic, right? But what have we learned uh, about this talk of genetics? It's lazy. Lazy. Anytime I hear somebody say it's genetic about anything, immediately alarms go off in my head and I say, this person doesn't know what they're talking about. That is a sign of laziness. When most of the time, not all the time, you know, the color of your eyes (laughs) is genetic. Uh, the color of your skin, the color of your hair. Those things are genetic. So it would seem reasonable that a headache or, you know, intense migraines that appears to run in the family, it clearly does. My my grandpa on my mom's side has migraines, had migraines. My mother also has migraines. So it would seem reasonable to connect those dots like that but here's the thing my migraines went away with authentic recovery from from a borderline personality disorder now why do you suppose that is and what do we know about borderline personality disorder and genetics well you know i can't go into all the evidence that i've presented to you here today in this show but i'll give you a uh, resuming a quick rundown we've established very concretely that borderline personality disorder is indeed inherited but it is not genetic it is inherited because it is passed down sort of like culture gets passed down from one person to another person now how about migraines why would my migraines go away and be cured when I was cured of borderline personality disorder because my migraines were inherited they were not genetically passed on how can migraines be uh, inherited and not genetically passed on the underlying causes of emotional disorder which creates tremendous anxiety and stress we're going to talk about that you you're going to connect the dots here about why i say migraines my migraines i'm not saying everybody's migraines but my migraines were directly related to the stress and anxiety of having an emotional disorder so let's get into this discussion here about anxiety stress and emotional disorder First of all, it's important to establish that uh, emotional disorders are all rooted in shame. Now, we talk about them very thoroughly using much more thorough language often. You know, for example, when we talk about the two distorted core beliefs of uh, emotional disorder, it's uh, my feelings are irrelevant and shameful, devoid of worth, so am I. That is a very long-winded and very detailed and specific uh, way of simply describing shame. So, all emotional disorders rooted in shame. How is it related 
to anxiety and stress. Before we get into this discussion, it's interesting to note that anxiety can be there. You can be experiencing it and not even be able to detect it. It happens to me all the time. In fact, most of the time when I've experienced tremendous stress, and I'm not talking about being caught like in the World Trade Center or anything when it's about to fall down, you would notice that kind of stress. But social anxiety, um, let's say that you've got a big um, public presentation that you got to do in a couple weeks and you're trying to prepare for it, clearly you're going to be experiencing stress. In those sorts of situations, you will notice that you will have moments where you're sitting around taking a break from all that and you think I'm not stressed out I'm not feeling any anxiety I feel as calm as can be and that's the interesting thing about it is that it can still be there even when you don't realize that you're experiencing it and it's been in moments like that that after let's say I get past the presentation or after I get past the job interview or after I get past whatever you know is causing me anxiety then I really experience calmness. The, the anxiety really does alleviate and go away. That's when I look back and realize, wow, I thought I wasn't anxious. I thought I wasn't stressed out, but I was experiencing some high levels of stress. You know, um, your skin doesn't lie, does it? How many times have you thought, I'm not stressed out at all, but then you start getting these breakouts you know you start getting these pimples and stuff on your skin and uh, then you get past a thing then you feel truly calm and you know you truly feel the absence of anxiety and stress and then your skin starts to clear up surely that's happened to you before so that's the interesting thing about anxiety and stress it can be there you can be experiencing it and not even be able to detect it happens to me all the time and even if you suspect that you're experiencing high stress and high anxiety in many cases I'd say even in most cases you can convince yourself that you're not uh, like I said most times um, when I when I do when I do an analysis of myself just you know a check-in with myself I say well I, f I feel pretty good I'm not feeling too much stress. Then I I do the job interview, I do the thing, and then afterwards I realize, ah, boy, I was all that time I was experiencing stress. So the person I was talking to here in the group says I'm convinced that uh, my anxiety when I have it is related to shame, even if it's anxiety about a health issue. So I said let's explore that a little bit. because she's right anxiety and shame are kissing cousins so I wanted to see her try to um, do, you know play the why exercise and see if she could get back to how they're related anxiety and shame so to do that the first thing we got to do is ask ourselves what is the message that shame is always trying to tell us. 
We've talked about that in the past, right? Shame is not just a feeling. Most feelings are not just feelings. They are messages. So what is the message, if we're experiencing shame, what is the message that it is always trying to tell us? I keep forgetting to look at the dot. So the message that shame is always trying to tell us is that we are devoid of worth. Remember a couple weeks ago we talked about that model who I think was also a TV personality and accomplished, a lawyer accomplished in so many things. What did it all boil down to? Why, did she, why could she not get rid of that sense of emptiness? Because of shame. Shame says you are devoid of worth. So that's the message. It's when you feel the feeling, it's not just a feeling you're feeling. It's a message you are hearing internally. Now, maybe it's not a voice being spoken in your ear, but it is a message being spoken to you internally. You are hearing that message, whether you're aware that you are hearing it or not. Every time you feel shame, the message is you're devoid of worth. Now, if you're a parent, let's say that you do something, you make a mistake as a parent and uh, you begin to feel intense shame. What's the message in the shame? You're not just worthless as a parent, you're worthless as a person. That's why you were able to make such a dumb mistake as a parent, is because you're worthless. You're a telephone man, you're, you're running telephone line, you make a big blunder and you start to feel shame. What's the message in the shame? You're worthless, you're worthless as a human being. That's why you made such a blunder. So when you're walking about in life and you're experiencing shame, shame is just at the root of your whole life experience. What is it that you are walking around hoping from others? Think about this. So we, we know that shame is constantly telling you you're devoid of worth. When you have an emotional disorder, it's there all the time. It's built up on shame. So it's not like it comes and goes. It's there all the time. You wake up in the morning, it's there. You go to school, it's there. You go to work, it's there. You're driving down the road, it's there. You're shopping at the store, it's there. It, it's never not there. It's always there. And what's the message it's telling you? You're worthless. So when you live on this foundation of shame, and you're walking about in life, what are you hoping from others? What are you hoping from the world? Now, the person I'm talking to, she says, what am I expecting? I'm expecting that bad things will happen to me, right? She's right that that's what you're expecting. When you live on a foundation of shame, that is what you're expecting. You're expecting the world to treat you like you're worthless. When you live with shame, which is telling you you're worthless, and you believe that, that's the only reason you live with shame is because you believe the message, and you're walking around in life, that is what you're expecting. You're expecting everything to confirm what you already believe, that you're worthless. That's not my question, though. 
My question is, when you're walking around in the world, what is it that you are hoping? Right? Not what you're expecting, but what is it that you are hoping? And she answered that people validate me. She's, she's, she's right. She's partly right. She is hoping to be validated by other people and by the world and by things. But my question really is, what is it that you are hoping that they don't notice or don't realize? So you're, you're walking around in life and inside of you, you're constantly hoping, oh, please, don't realize what, or don't uh, notice what. Has it come to you yet? It's that you're worthless. So you see that? You're walking around, you believe you're worthless, you're feeling shame all the time, and shame is telling you that you're worthless. You're expecting to be treated poorly. You're expecting the world to, to confirm what you already believe, that you're worthless. But that's not what you're hoping. What you're hoping is that people will not notice that you're worthless. And this is constant. It never subsides. Constantly feeling the shame, constantly hearing the message that you are worthless. You are constantly walking around believing that you're worthless. You're constantly walking around expecting the world and other people to confirm what you already believe about yourself. But that's not what you're hoping. What you're hoping for when you go out into the world is that nobody will notice that you're worthless that nobody will realize that you are worthless. So it's kind of like a dream that maybe you've had before where you, in the dream you, you realize you're naked. So you're at school, you're at work, something like that. And you look down and you go, oh my goodness, I'm buck naked. And you're you're like on a stage or you're in the office or you're at school and the only thing you're thinking in the dream is good God people are going I, I don't want people to realize that I'm walking around here naked right so that's a high anxiety creating situation people who believe they're worthless are walking around with that anxiety upon them all the time right they're worthless they're expecting everything to confirm that they're worthless but that's not what they're hoping what they're hoping is that good god please don't recognize don't notice or don't realize that i'm worthless that is a very high anxiety creating situation and as we've established people who believe they are worthless are walking around with that anxiety upon them all the time. As I'm saying this, you're probably realizing 
that you walk around with that anxiety upon you all the time. Constantly worried, constantly stressing about pleasing others, about being accepted, about being loved, and terrified instead that people will see the truth we got to put that in air quotes because it's not the real truth. It's just the truth as you believe it. But you're terrified that people will see the truth, air quotes, that you're worthless and how humiliating that will be. You got to tap into those feelings of humiliation. We, we've talked about it in the past. Once, you, If you've ever been humiliated, and I'm sure that many of you have, it's so terrible that human beings are willing to do anything to avoid experiencing that emotion and when you walk around believing that you're worthless but desperately hoping that people won't notice there's always that danger that they will notice or you know they will seem to confirm it to you because you're already viewing every single negative thing as confirmation of what you already believe so if they seem to confirm it it's humiliating in the past I've talked about like think about a teenage boy going up and who lives with an emotional disorder going up and asking a girl out on a date and she turns him down she might have a million trillion kajillion reasons for why she can't go on that date maybe maybe even if she's already got a boyfriend perfectly legitimate reason for why she uh, would turn down the date from the other from the boy he doesn't see the legitimacy in that all he sees is the confirmation of what he already believes of course she said no of course she said no and his body flushes with shame it just flushes the heat comes up through his body that shame telling him you see there you see there I told you so. And that is humiliating. So the person uh, then said, how come the anxiety mostly happens when I'm worried about a health issue? Like for example, I have a lower back muscle strain and it's been there for a few months and that gives me anxiety. Here's the reason for that. For uh, somebody living with shame on a foundation of shame a person who lives on a foundation of shame, of shame perceives vulnerabilities and particularly like health issues and weaknesses as confirmation of worthlessness like we were just talking about so she has this uh, lower back muscle strain and stuff now think about it on some level she says to herself this will reveal to people what I already know about myself. It's an outward display. It's not something hidden inside of her. This is a physical thing that is now visible to others. A weakness, a vulnerability. So her brain says this is going to reveal, they're going to see this vulnerability, which will reveal to them what I already know about myself, that I'm defective, that I'm imperfect, that I'm flawed, that I'm bad. Right? I used to think, uh, 
you know, like uh, years ago, back when I still had borderline personality disorder, um, if I would get injured, like in school or anything like that, I mean, I could be, I could have a broken bone jutted right out of my skin and I would not show that I was hurt. Not to anybody. Because, why? Because I can't reveal the vulnerability. Remember, remember what my fear is and what my greatest hope is. My fear is that people will, re- will see um, that I am worthless. I'm defective. I'm bad. Right? And what does a vulnerability or a weakness what is that? It's an outward display that others can perceive and the person who has the emotional disorder is terrified that this will reveal to them what you already know that you are defective because you have this invulnerable because you're vulnerable and that creates humiliation you know I used to think like man what if I passed out in a store or something I'd just rather die just rather die because you know if you break your leg or something you can pretend like it don't hurt Uh, now that I'm talking about this I remember wiping out on a bicycle one time I was showing off in this neighborhood we didn't live in town but every once in a while we'd go to town right and there were people that we visited there and I was riding this bicycle through town and I was showing off riding the bike with no hands and hit a rock or something and the steering wheel went the handlebars went and I went flying down and I mean I got tangled up in that bike I ripped myself to bits I knew all these people were watching and in the agony that I was experiencing I jumped up pretended like I was not hurt even though I was seriously hurt and went you know, trying to, to walk as natural as possible and not allow them to see that I was hurt because that was humiliating to me oh it was so humiliating not the fact that I wiped out while I was showing off although that was very humiliating but the vulnerability for them to be allowed to see that I am hurt uh, terribly terribly shameful terribly uh, humiliating that's what's happening with her with these health issues she's afraid that they're going to reveal to others what she is terribly afraid of them figuring out think about this if you're sad which is a vulnerability right you're sad if you're depressed if you're um any of these uh, feelings that when we're unhealthy we might label as being negative remember feelings aren't right or wrong good or bad so whatever you're feeling there's no such thing as a negative feeling except for one and that's shame it's the only emotion that human beings experience that is not constructive in any way whatsoever all of the other emotions have legitimate purposes and and are constructive within those uh, legitimate purposes but if you're feeling sad or let's say embarrassed that's better 
embarrassed is much better for the example embarrassed afraid is also much better if you're feeling embarrassed if you're feeling afraid if you're feeling insecure those things you can hide those from other you can hide those from people because unless you allow the outward display of that to appear on your face or within your body or whatever nobody knows so those are vulnerabilities that when we have an emotional disorder we get into we get really good at hiding those sorts of vulnerabilities away from people but if you have a serious physical health condition like lower back pain or broken leg or um, a breakout on your face or uh, a mole or a freckle somewhere that's visible these are not like feeling embarrassed you can't just hide them right well depending on where the freckles at uh, you know I got one on my leg that I used to be terribly ashamed about for same reasons for the same reasons that she is worried about her lower back pain and feeling anxiety about it I would feel anxiety wearing shorts especially around girls but even around my guy friends wearing shorts that were just a little too short to hide that thing create tremendous anxiety for me why because I think the freckle is going to reveal to them what I already believe about myself that I am flawed and broken and worthless so people who believe that they're worthless are worried about others seeing their vulnerabilities more than anything because a vulnerability in the mind of a person who believes that he or she is worthless is proof positive that they are defective there's so many air quotes I gotta put about through all this conversation because I hope you understand that it's not it's not proof positive of anything but in the mind of the person who is unhealthy and living on a foundation of shame that's their perspective of the thing the the vulnerability is proof positive it's not I'll tell you why because all human beings are flawed and living with vulnerabilities so it's really sad isn't it that the the person who is already in pain and living on this foundation of shame is creating all this unnecessary self-torture for himself or herself to be a person is to be flawed and have vulnerabilities to not have vulnerabilities is to not be human it's totally unrealistic it's totally fictional it's an extremely exaggerated expectation for unhealthy people to have of themselves but I remember it well and I know it's true for you too if you live on a foundation of shame to um, to expect more of yourself than is reasonable right? you expect things of yourself you expect things of yourself that are just completely exaggerated completely unrealistic because um, you view these vulnerabilities as great flaws why is it that people with emotional disorders 
have the expectation that they be superior to human, that they can't have flaws, flaws and vulnerabilities. Why is that? Why is it? Why is it that they live with that expectation? Because of the conversation we had a couple weeks ago. They don't believe they have inherent worth. What do you do when you don't believe in inherent worth? What you do is you are constantly trying to compensate for that. You're, you're constantly trying to compensate for your worthlessness. And how do you compensate for being worthless? You be perfect. That's how you compensate for being worthless. Can anybody be perfect? No. Can you compensate for worth that has to be earned? No. Remember a couple weeks ago in that talk about the, the model, the very formula of you of your worth needing to come from something external, from other, what other people think and that sort of thing, the very formula involved with that uh, means necessarily that if your worth must come from outside of you, you yourself are worthless. I hope I made that clear in that episode. If your value has to come from outside of you, what that necessarily means, there's no other possibility, is that you yourself are worthless. You see, all the value is in the things outside of you. They, you have to have those things in order to have value. But the value's in the things, not in you. When your worth has to come, when your worth or your value has to come from external things, they're the things that have the value, not you. You're worthless, necessarily so, in that formula. People have value because, of, because they're people. But when people don't live with the understanding and the belief that uh, human value is inherent, they are constantly trying to compensate for their worthlessness. That's what that model was doing. That poor, poor woman who um, committed suicide. She lived her life, her whole life, trying to compensate for her worthlessness. And in the end, she just realized it was just a total waste of time. Because on some level, she realized what I just told you. That if, her, if she has to earn her worth, if it has to come from outside of her, then she herself is, is worthless. That is just devastating. To us as human beings, that is a dev devastating conclusion to reach. I'm worthless. It means no matter what I do, no matter what I do, no matter what I achieve, no matter what I have, no matter how I look, no matter, no matter, no matter, you, what is worthless, what is inherently worthless, will always be worthless. Whatever has to uh, be granted worth from outside of itself does not contain any worth itself. It's worthless. Even with all those things. Remember, it's like covering your hand with a bunch of uh, jewels, right? And you say, look at how valuable my hand is. No, your, your hand... <laughs> your hand... You know, has its inherent worth because it's it's you. But 
you know, if somebody presses your hand with those jewels on at $20 million, where's the value coming from? It's, isn't it the jewels? The jewels are worth $20 million. Even If you take them off the hand, they're still worth $20 million. Your hand is no longer worth $20 million, is it? That's how external worth works. And people know that on some level. On some level, even if they don't uh, sit and really reason it out, as the, you know, the woman, that poor woman that we talked about a couple weeks ago, clearly didn't do. She didn't sit down and get to the root of all this and figure that out. But she knew it. She knew it on some level. That's why she did what she did. What I mean is, she she knew what the formula meant on some level. That if her value has to come from outside of her, it has to be granted to her from external sources, then, then she herself is worthless and she always will be. And it just devastated her. It, it makes... It, it, it paints such a bleak reality, such a pointless, bleak reality. And the real reality is the exact opposite. It's just so hard when you're raised with that understanding of how value works to go from that and to truly convince yourself that your worth is inherent. You don't have to earn it. People, uh, now, you know, we've talked about how if you're, um, let's say that you're a, a janitor, all right, you're a janitor, your value as a janitor, yes, is dependent on things. So, for example, how well you do your job, how valued you are by the company, right? If you're not doing your job very well and you don't know what you're doing, you don't clean very well, you don't fix things, you don't put your things away and all that sort of thing you come into work late these things affect your value as a janitor but they don't affect your value as a person right and I don't think a lot of people make that distinction you can be a poor mother if you're a poor mother and you mistreat your kids your value as a mother can be affected by that but not your value as a person your value as a human being is inherent to being a human being. A janitor may not always be a janitor. He might go out and decide to become a mechanic or a Supreme Court justice or a scientist or any number of things, right? But can you say that about him as a human? Is he ever going to not be a human? No, not ever. And his worth as a human is based on what he is. Not on how well he <laughs> performs as a human. It's based on the fact that he's just a human. That's inherent worth. So, really knowing and accepting that you have inherent value is so liberating because it means you have value despite any vulnerabilities or flaws. It allows you to stop running from certain realities about yourself. To turn around and embrace those realities as just being a real aspect of being yourself. And to still feel value nonetheless. So, 
me um, eliminating my anxiety had nothing to do with me fixing every single flaw and vulnerability that I live with as a human. I did not have to fix or eliminate every single vulnerability that I live with that are just realities of being me in order to begin to love myself, to recognize that I have inherent worth for my anxiety to go away. No, that was not the answer. The answer was to accept that those vulnerabilities belong there, that the vulnerabilities are part of the package of being me, and they always will be in this world. Once I accept that, then I can embrace them as just being a real aspect of who I am, what I am. You know, you realize that the value does not depend on those things, uh, is not affected by those things at all. Your value is there with the flaws and the vulnerabilities and everything. Vulnerabilities and weaknesses and flaws don't detract from our inherent worth, our inherent value in any way. We have inherent value with those things. Those vulnerabilities and flaws are part of the package. They are natural to what and who we just are. So she realized as we were having this conversation that that is where her anxiety is coming from. She's afraid that these health uh, issues um, will be visible to others. If they're visible to others, it means she's weak, she's broken, she's flawed, she's not perfect. They're gonna, that reveals to them that she is worthless, broken, flawed. Her anxiety is the walking around worrying that they're going to see and realize what she already fears or what she already believes about herself, but fears that other people um, will recognize and realize themselves, and she doesn't want them to. Remember, that's the hope. That's the hope you have when you're walking around with shame. You're praying that people don't realize what you already believe about yourself. I believe I'm worthless, but dear God, please don't let anybody else figure it out. What? Let's take that a little bit further. What happens if they figure it out? What happens if a person recognizes, or you know, not, they can't recognize anything? Again, that's an air quote moment. But let's say that they come to the conclusion that you are worthless. What's the only finality of that? Total rejection, right? We don't place any value on things that are that we perceive is worthless. And so the person who is walking around on a foundation of shame knows that that is the eventuality. Total rejection. So constantly walking around with the hope that people won't figure things, won't figure it out. They won't recognize it. They won't see it. So now that she knows where that anxiety is coming from, think about this. She can start getting control over it. Because ignorance, ignorance, makes us into unthinking robot slaves really does if you don't understand why you're anxious you don't understand where all these things are coming from and how they're related 
then they they just propel you forward right they they control you they affect uh, everything without you having any control over it but once you realize uh, where it's coming from and why suddenly you can apply mindfulness you can be mindful and recognize when that's happening those messages are coming up through your body in the form of shame and you can start gaining control over that anxiety because you can begin to mentally reject the messages within the shame we can't control feelings right it's not a human capability it's not a capability human beings have to control what we feel but when you begin to feel shame what you can do is reject the message in the feeling what's the message you're worthless you're worthless you're devoid of worth you feel you, you can just start to you can get really good at this where you can begin to recognize it just by the feeling how it feels in your body and then you can just begin rejecting it no i am not worthless i have inherent worth i have inherent value nobody is worthless she says mindfulness plus ignorance doesn't work so much and she's right even though a person who is ignorant and is trying to practice mindfulness even though that is a positive effort if one's working on an entirely false premise for example I don't have inherent value if you're working on that false premise mindfulness isn't going to help you much because you interpret every mindful thing that you observe through that incorrect filter right so really the thing that has to be corrected first is the completely unhealthy and erroneous and destructive belief that human worth human value has to be earned that it's not inherent to being a person well we uh are already at an hour what one thing I want to mention before we finish here is that I don't want to give you the idea that anxiety only comes from not believing in inherent worth or from people believing they're worthless two ways of saying the exact same thing it doesn't only come from those things but think about this for people who have an emotional disorder the stress of walking around feeling worthless is constant remember it never takes a break so it's not that it only comes from that it's just that people who have emotional disorders that source of stress is there always it's always operational so imagine that the unhealthy person's always walking around with that one constant source of anxiety oh i don't i don't want people to figure this out don't want people to figure this out and now consider that other sources of anxiety can also come into play and be added to the anxiety that they're already experiencing all of the time so for example pressures of, of work uh, financial anxiety anxiety over a health scare uh, anxiety over heavy traffic you know driving in traffic where there's a bunch of nuts driving like crazy things of this nature emotionally healthy people me 
who know that they have inherent value as people, for example, me, still experience stress and anxiety. Yes, I do still experience stress and anxiety. There's just not a constant source of it. But I worry about my financial, uh, you know, financial things all the time. I'm not a rich man, of course. You know, when uh, my funds get low and I've got bills coming in and stuff like that, of course, that creates anxiety for me. That has nothing to do with my inherent value, right? It, but it, it creates anxiety. Uh, healthy people aren't worried about their worth as people or of others realizing that they are devoid of worth. So healthy people aren't dealing with that. It's They're not existing upon a constant source of stress like that. But healthy people certainly experience financial anxiety, work anxiety, parenting anxiety. Um, how about the pandemic, right? Who was not anxious about that when that started? All of us, right? No matter how emotionally healthy you were, just the unknown of everything shutting down, not knowing how long is this thing going to last? Is it going to kill me? Is it going to kill somebody I know? Yeah, that creates a lot of stress and anxiety, even for emotionally healthy people. So that is the conversation that we'll have for this week. And... Um, going to wrap it up here because it's late where I'm at and uh, I hope you folks enjoy the show I hope you uh, do something nice for yourselves this weekend and uh, I don't have any big plans um, work I, I'm doing a lot of work st- related stuff and also I think I told you if you're interested in uh, seeing my backpacking adventures and adventures of uh, bushcraft things like that in the woods I have a new Rumble and YouTube channel called The Practical Woodsman. So you can certainly subscribe to that. And I've been doing so I've been doing a lot of juggling. Last symptom, which is my bread and butter. It's always gotta take, you know, my my primary attention. And then the practical woodsman, which is my fun stuff, uh, for fun that I do. And in fact, a lot of the work that I've done here with Last Symptom has informed my approach to that whole thing. So, uh, <clears throat> but needless to say, I stay uh, very busy, very, very busy between work, pleasure, parenting, um, and all those things. I'm sure you do too. You folks take care of yourselves, and thanks for being here this week. Mm-hmm.